and we'll ask for the Lord's blessing in our meeting. Shall we pray? Father, we again quietly bow in thy presence in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're thankful, Father, for these moments we spend together, first of all in prayer and then to read the scriptures and preach the gospel. We do thank thee for this glorious message that we have to proclaim. We praise thee, Father, no message like it. The message of God concerning his Son, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And salvation, because of that great work accomplished perfectly by thy beloved Son, that salvation is vast, full, and free through the precious blood of the Son of God who was slain on Calvary. We pray for thy blessing upon this meeting. We ask of thee that thou wilt draw near, that there'll be a subtle sense of thy presence. And we pray for any in the room in the park that know not the Savior. We pray that they'll be able to focus on these eternal matters. And we pray that any would, that would have a thought about their soul. We pray that this would be the night of their deliverance. And any soul or souls careless about these matters, we do trust that they would get a timely awakening. And that even tonight, Father, they would seek the Lord earnestly while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. We look to thee, Father, for further blessing. We look back and thank thee for what thou hast done. And we ask of thee that even this very night, again, we will hear news of salvation. Let the angels bear the tidings upward to the courts of heaven. Let them sing with holy rapture or another soul forgiven. We pray for the salvation of God to come to this place as we remember many other places where the same message will be proclaimed. We ask thy blessing and salvation in the worthy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now again, we welcome all very heartily who have come to the meeting. Good to see so many here again, other meetings on around the district, which we understand. So we certainly appreciate again all who have come, who are in the hall in the foyer there and those out in the park. We certainly appreciate and give you all a very warm welcome in the Lord's name. Remember the remaining meetings, please, through to Friday night, <coughs> Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night at 7.30. And then there'll be a gospel meeting here on the Lord's Day at the usual time of five. So we announce these meetings again in the will of the Lord. And thank you for coming. And remember the remaining meetings announced if the Lord be not come. I would like to turn to the Bible, please, to read in John's Gospel, chapter 20, please. First of all, chapter 20 of John. And verse 31. Chapter 20 of John and verse 31. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Now, look over to 1 John, please. All these readings are from John's writings. 1 John, please, chapter number 5. 1 John 5, verse 9. If ye receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God that he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is a record that God hath given to us eternal life, and his life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, 
that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now to Revelation, please, chapter number 1. Please, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. Revelation 1 verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things that shall be hereafter. We know that the Lord will add a blessing to these very familiar verses again tonight from the Bible. You'll have noticed that in these three passages or scriptures that we have read, we have something that is written, or why they're written. So we want to take a look at them. They're all John's writings. John in his 21 chapters in his Gospels, and then the, the five and the two in the epistles, seven chapters there, and then 22 chapters of Revelation. So John writes a fair bit in our New Testament. And first of all, in chapter 20 of John's Gospel, we want to think of what John writes in his Gospel. Here's what John says. He says, these things are written. So why are they written? He says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life through his name. So we want to see these things that are written in the Scriptures that sinners might believe and receive eternal life. Then not only that, John writes us that you may know. He wants us, it's written, what's written in, in the epistles here. It brings before us that we may know, not only that we might believe, but that we may know. And here's John says, it's possible to know. It's possible to be absolutely sure that one's sins are forgiven and to know that all is well. Here John says, he that hath a son. Here's a test for us all. He says, he that hath a son hath life. Not good. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. There's no, no, no gray areas with John. And he says, these things are written. Why, John? These things are written that you may know. So the gospel's written that you might believe. Here in these words in the epistles is that you might know. I tell you, it's a great thing to be saved. It's a great thing to know you're saved and to be sure and that all is well. Then he says, I want to write about the things that's going to, in the revelation there, he tells us about things that's going to be written. These things are written about things that are going to take place hereafter. Isn't the Bible a wonderful book? Wonderful book. Is that a wonder we sing? Oh, wonderful, wonderful word of the Lord. Bringing before us the way we can be saved, the written word of God, things and, and what we need and the, who we need, need to be put our trust in. These things are written that we might believe, written that we might know. And then the future, no darkness as far as the future is concerned in, that, in this respect. All is just brought, brought before us, the things that will happen. And says John writes about them in these many chapters in Revelation. In chapter 20 and verse number, that verse that we have read, here John is bringing before us, these things are written that you might believe. All that's written. There's just a few things that I, I want to take a look at that, that have been written. Words of necessity that are written. John wrote words of necessity. When we think of these words of necessity that John wrote, plain words, no doubt, by the Spirit of God, and John penned them. What was the words? Except a man be born again. Those were simple words, weren't they? Plain words from Christ. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there we have words written, words of necessity, words that just remind you and I that if ever we're going to be in heaven, we need a change. We need to be born again. We need to be born from above. 
We need this second birth. We need to be changed. We need our sins forgiven. I trust that in these meetings we have tried to make that very plain night after night, that the absolute essential is absolutely essential. No heaven without Christ. No heaven without the new birth. And you know, some people are confused when it comes to heaven and comes to who are going to be there. I tell you, dear soul, when we come to the Scriptures, the Scriptures is very plain, reminding us of our first birth. We spoke about that last evening. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. So there we have our first birth. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered, and we all, all have sinned and fallen short. But here, John in his gospel, he's the one that writes and tells us that we need the second birth. We need to be born anew. We need to have divine life. And says, John, tell us, John, what happens if we never receive this eternal life? We never get the second birth. says, John, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Dear soul, could I ask you, gently and quietly, whether you're in the hall here or whether you're in the car park, have you been born again? And you know, just look back to that day and hour in your experience and understanding simply and plainly that I'm a sinner only fit for hell. And I'll never be in heaven unless my sins are forgiven. And to get a clear understanding that God has loved me and Christ has died for me and just a simple trust alone in him and refound salvation and received a new birth. Oh, I tell you, dear soul, as you sit in the meeting or sit in the car, just look back over your life and ask yourself the question, have I ever received a second birth? Don't be confused. God's word is so plain. No heaven without the second birth. And again, over and over again in John chapter 3, words that are written by John here by the, through the Holy Spirit of God, as it were. He says again in chapter seven, chapter. 3 and verse 7, that ye must be born again. I leave that point. Dear soul, understand it plainly. The new, this is not religion we're preaching here. No, no, soul. This is not turning over a new leaf. No, no. This is being born again, friend. This is receiving Christ as one's personal Savior. Then he spoke words of beauty. We couldn't turn to a better verse than in John 3 and 16. Here's what John has written concerning, concerning God's great plan of salvation. Listen to the lovely story again. Listen to the golden words again. Not only words of necessity, but words of beauty concerning God's great love for mankind. Listen to them, for God so loved the world. There we have God loving sinners. God loving you and I, the unlovable. Those who were guilty and lost and those whose sins had separated them from God. And yet God looks down and God so loved us. And the proof of his love, dear soul, for you and I is this. Never think, dear soul, that God doesn't love you. And I want to say another thing, for sometimes people are confused. The God that we represent and the God of the Bible not only loves you, but he's made provision for you in Christ that he can be saved. And I tell you more so, he desires your blessing. The God of the Bible wants to see you saved and blessed, friend. And God, our Savior, over and over again, whether it's the Old Testament, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. If there's a gentleman or a lady in the car or someone in the room here, and you die in your sins and arrive in hell, that was never God's desire for you. Never. Never, friend. 
God's desire is, oh, as I live, says the Lord God, no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather God wants you to turn, friend. And again, if we want a New Testament reference, we have there in First Timothy chapter 2, God our Savior. Oh, God is a Savior, God. God our Savior. Just hear those words again, willeth. Oh, the desire of God, God willeth that all men should be saved. So don't, dear soul, get the wrong thoughts about God. God loves you, and God desires your blessing. And we have these words of beauty. For God so loved the world of sinners that he gave his only begotten Son. And we tell you again the story that Christ, God, not only gave his Son, but on the cross of Calvary, Christ gave himself. And there on the cross, Christ died for the ungodly. There on the cross, Christ died for sinners. There on the cross, Christ was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was all laid on him. And dear soul, God gave him, and Christ gave himself. And provision is made in the death of Christ. And John's a writer that tells us that lovely expression that Christ cried on the cross when all was finished, when all was paid for and all done. He cried, it's finished. Dear soul, these words are written. Written are war warning us that we, we need the new birth. We're written telling us about God's love and Christ's provision, how he was lifted up on a cross and provided salvation to meet the need of all. And of course, John writes words of warning. There in chapter 8, he says, if you die in your sins, there I, where I am, you cannot come. And then here at the end of the book, you know, another thing John writes, he says, he says, if everything was written, you know, I often think about things that could be written about Brother Elton here, or things could be written about myself. A couple of A4 pages would do it, maybe less. But you know what it says about Christ? It says that every, if everything was written, that could be written, you know what it says? It says the world couldn't contain the books. What a saviour. The Son of God providing salvation for every sinner. And then here's John says, he says, Now these things are written. Words of necessity, words of warning, words of love and telling us about Christ's death and salvation of him. These things are written that you might believe, friend. That's why they're written. That you might believe and believing receive life through his name. Friend, eternal life can be yours. You think of that, dear soul, the preciousness, of, the preciousness of that. Eternal life, everlasting life, abundant life can be yours the moment you as a child, man, woman, boy or girl, understanding that everything that was written about Christ, everything that was written about me in the Scriptures is absolutely true. A guilty sinner only fit for hell, needing a new birth. And to appreciate what was written about Christ is absolutely true. That God loved me. And Christ died for me. And God offers me salvation. And whosoever, we have that, that text. We are trying to emphasize that earlier today in conversation. That it's for the whosoever will. Oh, soul, we tell you, these things are written. And they're written. And it's offered to the whosoever will. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. These things are written. I wonder, dear soul, would you appreciate the pen 
word of God tonight, the written word of God, the God that cannot lie, promises that boy, that girl, that man or woman who puts his or her trust alone in Jesus Christ, the moment eternal life, everlasting life. And as Elton preached the other night in the same gospel, we are reminded that the Lord Jesus' promises, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. It's a pistol that ye may know. He says that ye may know. It's possible to know, friend. And I tell you here again, the word of God brings before us. In chapter 3 and 36, we have these words, John 3 and 36, we have these words, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. There we have John's ratings again. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And here again in the epistles, he says, listen, friend, here is, here is John's rating. That sinners might know is able, you're able to be know, you're able to know, and you're able to enjoy it too, dear son. I tell you, what can equal joy divine? What can sweeter be than knowing that my soul is saved? And saved eternity. Here's what John says, these things are written. He that, what is it, John? He that hath the Son. There you have it, friend. Don't ever be confused. He that hath the Son hath life. That everlasting life that John writes about. He says, he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. And these things are written that ye may know, oh, friend, I tell you, nothing like it. What I could again, what can equal joy divine, what can sweeter be? Tell me, tell me what's sweeter. To have everlasting life and to know it from the written word that God promises he that hath a Son. Soon as my all I ventured, on the atoning blood, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And it's possible to know, friend, without the shadow of a doubt, that my sins are gone and my fears are why the written word of God again. God cannot lie, Titus 1 and 2, in hope of eternal life. God that cannot lie, tell us that ye may know. That ye may know ye have eternal life. Why? You have believed, put your trust alone in Christ a Savior, written that we might believe, written that we might know. And then solemnly, John is a writer that gives us great detail, tremendous detail of things written that we might believe, written that we might know, and then written about concerning the things that are seen, the things that are, and then the things that will be here, hereafter. You can see the whole thing shaping up, can't you? John gives us great details as these things that are going to be. You know, the next John writes in his gospel, in chapter 14, in chapter 14, he, he reminds us of the coming again of the Lord Jesus. First of all, coming to the air to receive from this world his own. He says, I go away, I will come again and receive you. That's everyone that's saved, every believing soul in Christ, those that have died and those that are living, going to be received. He says, I go away, I come again, and will receive you unto myself. Imagine, imagine Christ coming back for his own and he's going to receive them unto himself and Paul writing, thinking about that, he says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then what? There's terrible times coming on this world, friend, long before the lake of fire. 
terrible times coming in this world. If you read in those early chapters of Revelation, a short time after the Lord comes, there'll be judgment after judgment falling on this world. The things that'll happen hereafter. You know, where are we now? 2022. In a very short, if the Lord comes tonight, so in a very short time, you'll not know, you wouldn't know this world, the shape of it. The number of 7.5 billion souls in this world in a very short time. One pestle, one, one. We can see it with corona, how it could happen very quickly. One judgment wipe out a third of the world. Yes, a third of the world. And then coming on the back of that, another one. And it's going to wipe out a quarter what's left. Judgment after judgment, so oh friend, the things that's going to happen hereafter. You setting your sights in this world? I asked young people, are you setting your sights in this world? Things could change very, and will change very quickly after the Lord comes. You see, friend, I want to say to this, and this time, my time's finished here. Um, you see, if the Lord comes tonight, friend, what I said, every unsealed soul, the good times is over. You get that? Girls, do you understand that? The good times is over. Boys, catch that. And older friends, I tell you, if Jesus Christ comes tonight and takes his home away, the good times is over. If you're left behind, friend, I say it gently to you, you have absolutely nothing to look forward to, only, and I say it softly, the lake of fire forever. And there's other details we could say to your soul. Revelation chapter 6, the end of it, just gives you a wee picture of what's going to take place says the mighty men, the big men, all the brass, look run to the mountains. And the side of the mountains, mountains fallen. Fallen. Wonder what mountain you'll run to, friend. Are you far from Slamish? Imagine running to the mountain, fall, hide it why. The great day of his wrath has come. I tell you, friend, the day of grace is here now. Salvation's available. I say to you, dear soul without Christ, the things that's going to happen hereafter, all written in the holy book. But I trust tonight, friend, you will understand the gospels written about Christ and about salvation, and all that believe will receive everlasting life. With that solemn backdrop, let's turn to Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10. And we'll read from verse 30. 
Luke chapter 10, verse 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, <clears throat> when I come again, I will repay thee. May God bless to us what the Savior had to say. <clears throat> I want to note with you, please, I know it's only a story, but when the Lord Jesus told a story, it was worth listening to. I want you to notice that there was a certain man, and I want you to notice the condition of the man. I want you to notice the condition of the man all the way through. And then I want you to notice something comes in, and I want you to notice the compassion for the man, the compassion for the man. There's a man, note his condition. Now see the man, note the compassion for him. And then I think it will tie in well with what we've been hearing, the communication with the man. For there were promises made, there were things said that were going to sustain that, that man and just remind him every day of someone who had come and saved him. So that's what I want to consider with you, this certain man. The condition of the man was such that he was left half dead, half dead. Did you know you're half dead? If you're in your sins right now, you're half dead. You see, you're very much alive physically, but you're not only a physical being, you are also a spiritual being. There is that which you see of a person, and then there's that which you can't see. And so you have a physical, and you have a spiritual. Now, physically, you are very much alive, and I'm glad of it. But spiritually, you're dead. Ephesians says you're dead in trespasses and in sins. And it doesn't mean you have no response or anything. Being dead means you're separated from God because of your sins, and you will experience the second death, which is the permanent separation from God forever. You see how you're half dead? Physically alive. Spiritually dead. A sinner here in this building can be described in the same way as this man Half dead. You notice here he's in poor shape. He's been robbed. 
He's been wounded. He's been deserted. And that's why he's lying there half dead. Did you know that that's what sin does to people? Sin robs them. You just go up and down the streets and you find someone who is not so happy. And you say, sir, what happened to you? And they begin to tell you a long story, don't they? Everything was going fine until I was doing well and then she left me. I was robbed of the business. This person wounded me. And they begin to tell a tale. Sin does that. And I'm not even saying it's your personal sin, although that will rob you. But you see the sin in this world, it just comes and batters you. And, and it robs you. But the trouble is, ladies and gentlemen, is that you personally have sinned. And you personally have wounded and you personally have robbed, and you personally have deserted. And so what you have done to others, they have done to you. And we're all in mighty poor shape, very poor shape. And sin will, will do that to you. But the greatest disaster of sin is what it does to your relationship with God. That's the greatest disaster. If you sin against a friend, that will hurt that relationship, but you might get another friend. If you sin against a family member, I think it will bring in some problems that will make your family reunions a very tense matter. But if you sin against God, who is infinitely holy, and you sin against God, who holds in his hand your breath, this is now no longer a friend, a family member, even an enemy. What we're speaking of now is the one who is able to condemn your soul to hell. So then when you sin against him and you offend God, who is infinitely holy, what sin does now is that it makes a permanent wound on you. What sin does now is it permanently separates us from God. What sin does now is it causes us to be robbed of everything that we once had. I caught it, did you, as John was speaking? He said, if the Lord comes tonight, the good times are over. The good times are over. God will deal with this world as we've already been hearing. And everything that you had, even though it was so little, will be stripped away. Sin separates from God forever. And it's your fault. No one can raise their fist against God and blame him for his holiness. He remains pure. You and I are stained with sin, half dead, half dead. It's a solemn condition to be in. I remind you, as we've been reminding you all through these meetings, and I do not recall preaching with a man and imitating him in some ways so much 
as preaching about hell and hell and the lake of fire so much in any meetings I've ever been in. But I warn you again, your sin is taking you down to hell, ultimately after the great white throne to the lake of fire. Good times are not only over, it is the awfulness of an eternity without God that begins and it's forever. And the solemn reality is you are lying half dead right now, half dead. My friend, you're spiritually dead. And it's high time you woke up, not a physical awakening, but a spiritual awakening and understand that you need a savior and you need God's salvation right now more than any other time in your life. And driving down this road, I said to John, do you not feel in the last two weeks an urgency that we're going to visit people and sometimes we're visiting people that can't even come here and we're pleading with them and we've never been so direct. We've never talked to so many people about their soul and almost wanting to shake them and to say, friend, you're in dire need of salvation. If you don't get it and if you miss it, I don't know what's around the corner. I do not know what is going to happen next. And this world is holding its breath and the diplomats are scurrying to solve the problem. When all along, friend, you and I might be breathing our last moments on earth. You and I might be coming face to face with disasters that we've never, ever thought were possible in our day. And it'll make coronavirus look like a walk in the park compared to what might be coming. I don't know. But one thing I do know, if you die tonight without Christ, you're lost forever. You are half dead. You need a savior. Look what happened here. It was by chance some people came along, just the random happenings. But then there came a man and it was by no chance. It doesn't describe him as by chance. It says as he journeyed. The gospel according to Luke is full of journeys of the savior. And the Lord Jesus here, he's talking about himself. A certain despised one. Someone that the world didn't look too much with too much favor upon. And as he journeyed, he came where he was. You'd almost get the impression that he was on a journey to go to where the man was. As he journeyed, here he comes. Jesus is passing this way. And he comes right to the place where the poor sinner lies in all of his need. I am so glad to tell you of a savior that has come right to where we are here on planet earth with a, a population that is half dead in all their sin. And he comes right alongside and he didn't look the other way. He didn't look and then turn. I want you to notice the compassion for the man. Oh, what compassion it was. Sometimes we read John three sixteen and we don't give it it's proper meaning. We sometimes preach it as if it means God loved the world and gave. That's not what it says. It says God so loved the world that he gave. God loved so much that he gave. Did you get the emphasis of it? He so loved the world 
You say, how did he love it? He loved it so much that he gave his only begotten son to die in our place on the cross. Sent him there. Sent him to the place of sentence. And sent him there so that he might endure in our place to become the ransom substitute for all. He paid it all. And he paid it for all so that all men might be saved. That's how I know it's the will of God that all men should be saved. It's because he made provision for all at the cross. And that means you, friend, can be saved. Never think for a moment that somehow you're going to miss it. And it's all somehow God's cosmic plan. It's never been the plan of God that one man should perish. I take that I take that so, so much to my heart that I can tell you that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, the compassion, the compassion. <laughs> if he was lying half dead, I can tell you this, there were no halfway measures of this man full of love. Look what he does. He doesn't just half-heartedly go toward him. He says he saw him, had compassion on him, went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast. You'd almost think he's just traded places with him. You know, that's exactly what the Savior did. He takes you as a vile sinner and makes you a child of God, a son of the king. How did he do it? By taking your place and coming under the wrath of God and being mocked as a king. What a mighty transfer has occurred. In order to elevate you, he humbled himself. In order to give you life, he died. In order to save you, he endured the punishment. As the almighty vengeance fell, enough to sink a world to hell. What compassion is this? You don't deserve it. You do not deserve this. But since when has God's grace and mercy ever been something you deserved? Since when is someone who has a heart like God dispensing good? Since when have we ever deserved anything? We never have, but we can receive it. It's called grace. It's called love. It's called mercy. I want you to notice the communication with the man. I don't know if he overheard it or not. I like to think he did. I can almost imagine now this wounded man that's been saved. And now he's being cared for. He's being cared for. You know, being saved is not just a one event in your life that somehow is over. And then you just hang on. It's the beginning of a new life. With the communications from God. Filling your soul. That's why we read the Bible. That's why Christians read it. They read it. Well, let me give you one reason why. Could you imagine the fellow lying in bed there? And he calls the host in. He said, what did that man say before he left? Oh, he said, uh, 
He said, I'm to take care of you. Oh, that's good. So I'll be taken care of. You'll be taken care of all the way. Did he say any more? Yes. He said he's coming again. Will I see him? Oh, you'll see him. Is he a man good to his word? Oh, more than you'll ever know. He said, I know him, says the host. He will cover everything. He will come again. You're going to see him. I know it. Titus 1 and 2 is one of the greatest communications. God that cannot lie. And so I'm going to end my remarks where John ended his. Jesus is coming again. He'll not come as a lowly man of sorrows. He'll not come to deal with sin. He's already dealt with that. Dear Christian, he's going to come to fulfill that last aspect of salvation. He's going to come and he's going to take you home. You're going to be in heaven. You'll never have sin or sighing or suffering anymore. There'll be no sickness there. There'll be no sorrow. There'll be no departures. There'll be no woundings. There'll be no robbings. It'll be a constant giving out of God. And the man who has received Christ in his life will receive all the blessings of God for eternity. And that which was in his soul that he longed for the goodness and longed for the holiness, he'll have it. Heaven will be a tremendous place because we'll be in fellowship with God. But what about the person that didn't receive Christ, that refused what Christ had to offer here and now in time? Well, there's only one thing left, isn't there? There's only one thing left. You said you didn't want him. You refused him. So he's going to give you exactly what you asked for. An eternity without him. You asked for it. It's your fault. If you turn and trust Christ, you'll have an eternity with Christ. And if you don't turn to him and trust him, and you refuse him, then he'll give you exactly what you desired. Oh, the solemn reality and the solemn responsibility that rests upon you just this moment. Will you not trust him? Will you not just believe what he said? He said, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Come to him. I didn't say come to the front. I say come to him. We can't save you. He can. Come to Christ. Simply, humbly bow in your heart. Acknowledge you're the sinner half dead. Acknowledge his compassion in giving his son. Acknowledge Christ that his promise is true. He that hath the son hath life. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that thou would take this twofold message, bind it together, send it like an arrow to the heart of someone here, 
and pray that the Holy Spirit will do his wonderful work, his marvelous, his unseen work in the soul. And pray that someone will have hope tonight as they would turn to the Lord Jesus and trust him. Father, we thank thee he's coming back. We're so thankful that we have eternity to look forward to. We're so thankful for heaven. We're so thankful for the hope. And Father, we cry to thee that someone will come into the same blessing tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray.